Yeah, so I'm going to invite up Isaiah. Pastor Isaiah, come on up. Let's give him a hand. Thank you so much for being here, bringing the family out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. good always to have yeah. you with us. Yeah. Um, we first met through uh, getting connected, an organization called the AND Campaign. Anyone heard of the AND Campaign? All right. Yeah, Isaiah, his family moved out here and from Atlanta and some of From the... Pasadena, originally. <laughs> Pasadena. Pasadena by the way to of Atlanta, Atlanta yeah, yeah, to yeah. back to LA. Yeah. And so some of the executive team out in Atlanta connected us, knowing that we're starting an ant campaign chapter here in LA. And so we've been collaborating for a while, trying to get that up off the ground and finding real friendship in the That's midst right. of that. That's and right. so it's an That's honor right. to have you as always. Yeah. So glad to uh, sit under your teaching, so pray that the Spirit would speak through you to us. Thank you. Thank Amen? You, thank you. All right. Despite your Seahawks oh, fandom. don't bring that up. Don't bring that up. <laughs> you are my brother. <laughs> Man, I love you, Pastor. Can we give it up for Pastor Devin and for all that he means to this community? Uh, my 49ers are 3-0. It is not too late to hop on the bandwagon. If you wait to the playoffs, it's too late then, but... Hop on the bandwagon now. No, it's, it is a joy to be back here at the Commons. I consider you guys family. Um, it's always uh, just an, an exciting time whenever we get together. And as Pastor Devin said, my wife and mother are here. Uh, my, my, my girls are here as well. I don't know if, oh, they are, thank God. They're be, <laughs> they will be able to listen because the girls are upstairs. Praise the Lord. All right. Um, it's a portion of scripture I want to turn your attention to in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. I'll be reading out of the English Standard version of the Bible. I thank the Lord for another year. I just turned 43 on the 20th. So shout out to all the September babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Galatians 6, starting in verse 7. You got it? All right. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father, we, we need you. We, we need to hear from you. We understand that the flower fades and the grass withers, but it's your word that stands forever. Open our ears, open our eyes, help us to get underneath your word. And Father, as, as, as we endeavor to understand what you've written to us through the Apostle Paul, 
I pray that you will be glorified in this place. And I pray that your people will be edified. And as always, we want all of hell to be horrified. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this, this passage that we just read comes after a prescription given by the Apostle Paul. Uh, within this passage, we see a principle, we see a promise, and we see the proper response to that promise. Now, just to give you some background, the book of Galatians is, is, is an amazing book because it's written to a community who's experiencing some pretty significant like, theological drama. A group of people called the Judaizers, Jews that it claimed to convert to Christianity, they were spreading a, a, a false gospel, essentially saying to the Gentiles that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Essentially, you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian, and you had to adhere to the law of Moses, and that's how you uh, become a part of the covenant community. The Apostle Paul addresses this, this heresy because some of the Christians in the region were, 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 were given over to this heresy. They were, they were enticed by it, and some of them were actually adopting this heresy. So the Apostle Paul has to write to them to, to, to correct them and to explain this, this beautiful truth we call justification by faith alone. This reality that we are not saved by our own strivings, by our own efforts, by our own works. We are saved by grace through faith. When we trust in Christ alone, we are reconciled to the Father. We inherit eternal life. The Apostle Paul spends time setting the record straight, combating this false gospel, putting justification by faith in sight, juxtaposing that against the law of Moses that, that, that will not and cannot save. And, and it's a beautiful uh, apologetic that the Apostle Paul wages against this false gospel. He spends the last two chapters of the book of Galatians really sort of fleshing out what somebody that actually, how somebody, should I say, that actually places their faith and trust in Jesus alone, how that fleshes out practically. Like, what, what does life look like? if I've really given my heart, my life over to Jesus? Like, what are the practical ramifications of, of, of really trusting in Jesus alone? So in the last two chapters of the book of Galatians, he really kind of, like the Apostle James, really helps Christians to understand what, the, you know, the just shall live by faith, what that actually looks like in application. And so we get to, we get to Galatians uh, chapter 6, and before we actually dive into the verses that we sort of went over, uh, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that all of the, the faithful teachers in the region, all of the faithful Bible uh, proclaimers, um, they hadn't all been given over to this heresy. Because in the previous verse, in verse 6, listen to what he says. This is the prescription that he gives to the, to the Christians in the region of Galatia, to the churches there. He says in verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. 
So, so this implies that there were teachers in Galatia. Go ahead and go to the bathroom. Got to get that right. I, I got you. I got you. There were teachers in Galatia that were still teaching faithfully. They were still teaching the word of God. And the prescription in verse 6 from Paul to the people was to share in all good things with those teachers. Show them appreciation by supporting them financially in other ways, right? Not just financially, but give them goods and maybe even let them stay at your house, right? This, this was the prescription that was given to, uh, to the Christians in Galatia. Verse 7, where we began, is actually a principle that relates to this prescription given in verse 6, but it actually also can be blown out to apply to different things as well. After the Apostle Paul gives his prescription in verse 6, he then goes on in verse 7 to say, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So now remember in context, he, he, he's talking about the, the sharing of the good things with the teachers. This is, this is giving to support the ministries of those sharing the Word of God. But notice that, that there's this, this admonition. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Maybe there were some in the, in the crowd listening to the Apostle Paul's prescription in verse 6 saying... Is, is the teaching of, that, of the word really that valuable? I have better things to do with my resources, better things to do with my goods than to give what I have over to the teachers. Maybe there was somebody in the audience hearing Paul's words and not really filtering Paul's words through a faithful mind, a mind that really embraced and accepted what Paul was saying. And in that way, the Apostle Paul is kind of implicitly addressing this person in the crowd that's saying, I've got something better to do with my resources. Maybe they were devaluing the gift of the teacher in their midst and essentially in their mind saying, no, not, not, not really going to do it. Not really beneficial, not really meaningful. And so the Apostle Paul implicitly addresses that mindset simply by saying, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that he shall reap. So that's the, that's the, that's the immediate context addressing this. This, this issue of sharing good things with the teacher. But there's some broader application here. When you hear the words, God is not mocked, and you hear those words prefaced by be not deceived, it, it, it should be a little bit jarring and alarming because, hear me, the Apostle Paul is talking to believers. Essentially implying that Believers can be self-deceived. And they can be self-deceived to the point where they begin to hold in derision, mocking God. If you look at it in the Greek, it's, it's literally like sneering at God, turning up your nostrils to God and holding God in derision, holding God's word, holding God's prescriptions in derision. It's, it's, it's easy for us to imagine unbelievers having that posture towards God. Unbelievers mock God every day. You have atheists out there that breathe his air, drink his water, and then turn around and, 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 and pretend as if he doesn't exist, even though they're breathing his air and drinking his water. And so it's easy for us to imagine unbelievers 
mocking God. But, but, but what verse 7 helps us to understand is that Christians, is, is that as Christians, we have to examine our hearts. We have to make sure that, that, that we aren't being self-deceived and deluded into holding in derision God's words, God's ways, God's commands. Adam and Eve, in their cosmic rebellion against God, mocked them because they knew that he had said, you can have everything else except this, this one tree in the garden. Mocked them by disobeying his word. Jonah, Jonah was given a direct command from God to go to Nineveh, mocked them by saying, ah, your word, your command is not that meaningful to me. I'm going to run the other way. Ultimately, he did end up in Nineveh, but not before he mocked them. You get to the New Testament, you have Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. There's a, 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 a requirement that they give over and not hold back things that, that they had in their possession. They, they, they decided they were going to shirk that requirement, mocked them. So this is for us. Be not deceived. God will not be mocked. And then the Apostle Paul gives this, gives this principle. He says, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now, now again, immediate context. This is, this, is, this is contributing to the needs of the teacher. Okay, The Apostle Paul actually says something Similar in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So what was supposed to be imprinted in the minds of the, of the hearers was that, look, if you share in good things with the teacher, then you will receive according to the, the, the measure that you share. If you're liberal and, and you're giving, then God will be liberal in, in, in giving to you. So that's, that's, that's like the immediate straight-up context there, but there's some broader application here. This is, this is cosmic retribution. Okay? This, 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 this statement for, for what someone sows, they will reap, this statement makes me, as an African-American man, who, who, who has stared into the abyss of discrimination and mistreatment. We live in a, in a country where it seems like, like the wicked are getting away with their wickedness and they're being successful in disenfranchising people and abusing people and oppressing people. And, and we stare into that abyss and we often wonder God, do you see? God, do you hear? We often, you know, think about if, if this type of activity is going to be able to pers persist and prevail. When I hear these words, I am reminded that there is a God in heaven who says, surely there is nothing done under the sun that will not receive a penalty or reward. That you can rest assured that even if you don't see the penalty or reward on this side, there will ultimately be a penalty or reward because God is not just our wonderful, blessed Savior, but He's also judge. 
whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Proverbs eleven eighteen says it like this. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure, sure reward. Blessed be the God that we serve, that nothing goes unnoticed by him. Now, what this does not mean, however, is that there's some type of karmic cycle. You know, sometimes as Christians, we like to use words that are not associated with Christianity, but they're out there sort of like in, you know, in popular use. And so we use these words, not really understanding sort of what they mean. It's just your karma. That's just your karma. Your karma's happening, right? You stub your toe. Oh, that's my karma. I shouldn't have cut that person off in traffic. You do know that karma is something completely different, right? Karma is your, your, your actions today, what you're doing today, determining what your existence will look like in another life, okay? It, it's, it's your actions and activities right now affecting what caste you, may, caste you may be in or what your type of existence will be once you're, uh, you know, reincarnated somehow, some way. This is not karma. This is a principle. And it's a principle that's based on agriculture because Paul is speaking to an agrarian people. If you sow it, you're going to reap it. And it's a principle that that continues. He says in verse 8, For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, so, so the obvious sort of impulse would have been for somebody hearing Paul to say, like, verse 6, sharing all good things with the teacher, but, but these are my good things. I want to I keep them for my own pursuits, for my own endeavors. Right? I, I, I want to I hoard what I have for my own sort of selfish desires and needs. There's that route. There is this route that you can take where you sort of look at all you have and look at all you've acquired and look at your privilege and the grace that God has given you, the good things that you have, and say, that's for me to further myself. That's for me to better myself. That's for me to make sure that I end up in the end house on the cul-de-sac with you know, every need that I have met, and that's essentially what I'm kind of giving my life to. I'm giving my life to my own pursuits, my own endeavors, and my own desires. And this is what the Apostle Paul clearly says, and it goes back to this principle about sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, then what you're going to reap is corruption. You may get the big house. You may get the big car. There are these really nice cars out now called Lucids. Oh, my gosh. I want one so bad. So bad. And you may get one. You may get two. You may have, a, you may, you may have horses. You may have all types of amazing stuff that you only dreamed of when you were a kid. But guess what? When your life on this earth is over, 
Your lucid and your horses and your house won't go with you. And you would have worked all of your life for stuff that burns like straw before a God who judges the intents and hearts of men and women. You can do that, and you can spend your life saying, I'm going to get my degree, and I'm going to accumulate my wealth for me and for my family and for myself. And you can reap that temporal reward. Or, the Apostle Paul says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's the, there, there's the, there's the beautiful contrast. That there, are, there are the things of the Spirit. Now, now, for all of my folks with the, with, the, with the Pentecostal background, I love you so much. And I, am a, and I in a lot of ways, right, have, have, have like Pentecostal charismatic leaning, so I get you. But, but sowing to the Spirit is not, not necessarily, you know, walking around, speaking in tongues all day. All right, you know, all that is great, but, but, but sowing to the Spirit is having a sensitivity to what the Spirit is doing, what the Spirit is saying, and then getting involved in the activity that the Spirit beckons you to get involved into. Sowing to the Spirit is recognizing that there's a, a charge you have, a God to glorify, and then living your life in such a way where it is your pleasure and delight to glorify Him in all ways and in all manners. Sowing to the Spirit means putting the needs of yourself on the back burner. It's, it, it's hard. I know the culture says, like, you're the most wonderful, amazing, beautiful thing since sliced bread, and you ought to build your whole universe around you. This is different because this requires a little bit of self-forgetfulness. Not self-loathing, but self-forgetfulness. And saying, Spirit of God, where you lead, I will follow. If you lead me to South L.A. to give away everything that I have and to live amongst the community as a beacon of the gospel there, then I'm going there. If you're leading me to be a radical prayer warrior and prophet amongst my community, speak the truth in love and to help my community to, to, to be shaped and cultivated in the word and ways of God, then that's what I'll do. It, it's, it's sowing to the spirit is recognizing that the spirit has a field. And it is, it is my desire and pleasure to meet him where he is, and so where he says. And if I do that, I'm sorry for all of my prosperity gospel friends in here, saying if, you, if, if, if that's what you're, what you're doing, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, you're, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, wise. If, if I do that, I may be, I may be healthy, wealthy, I may, but I get something far, far, far greater and far better eternal life. Now this isn't, this isn't some prescription, this isn't work salvation, because remember the Apostle Paul is, is, is combating work salvation throughout the book of Galatians. This is, this is enjoying, the ability to enjoy what we already own. 
You're all, you already have eternal life if you've trusted in Christ alone, but work in such a way, sow into the Spirit in such a way that, that, that when, you, when you see the Lord, you're able to enjoy the eternal life that you inherited when you trusted in Him alone. What a precious and beautiful thing. Now, let me hasten. Let me hasten because I haven't even gotten... Let me hasten. Y'all know that black church tradition, that's tradition from which I come, right? Well, we, we, we stranglehold. You're a captive audience. We hold you. But, but let me hasten. All right. All right. And let us not, verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. Why? So, so, so here's the implication of what the Apostle Paul says in verse 9. Sowing to the Spirit is not easy. Sowing to the Spirit is not, is not an, a guarantee of ease and, and happiness and roses and, and daisies. Remember the, the, the parallel that Paul is drawing is, is sowing and reaping agriculture. This is an agrarian society. You, you, you plant in the fall, and guess what happens? You have to endure the fall. And there's rain in the fall. There's bitter cold in the fall. There's harsh, harshness and hardship in the fall. And so, when Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good, he's acknowledging the reality that sowing to the Spirit can be difficult, exhausting, thankless. The, 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 the benefits and results may not be immediate. But why? Why should your focus remain on the Spirit? Look at what he says. He says, for in due season. Here's the promise. We will reap. Remember the principle. What you reap, you sow. Do you see how Paul is connecting it? He says, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. What a promise. What an amazing promise that should provoke hope and joy in all of us. The fall of sowing the fall of doing things as you're sowing to the Spirit that are often thankless and not easy and you feel like you're taking on too much and you've got these burdens and there are these groups of people that you're trying to, to bear their burdens and they're not, even, they're not even happy, you know, and they're not even you know, fun to be around and you're doing these things and you're teaching the Word and people are looking at you cross-eyed and you're beating your flesh and you're trying to obey the Word of God and your friends are walking away from you and all of that stuff is the fall. But the beautiful thing about the fall is that it doesn't last always. Eventually, spring rolls around. And when spring rolls around, the beautiful sunshine peeks over the clouds. All of a sudden, everything that you sowed 
that has been in the ground, seemingly dormant, begins to crop up from the ground. And you begin to realize that all of the labor and all of the, 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 the missed opportunities and things that, 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 that you thought would never ever materialize because you were sowing to the Spirit, all of a sudden the season changes. And you find yourself in the midst of a harvest. And this, this, is, this is beautiful news for those of you guys that have committed to cultivating prayer lives, where you're saying, nope, nope, I'm going to be consistent in prayer, not as like a rote, mundane, religious practice, but as a vibrant, living connection to my Creator and my God. I'm going to be committed to it, and, and it's going to be something that I prioritize, and and, and, and it, it, it's hard, you got to change your schedule, you've got exams, you've got meetings, you've got all types of stuff, but you commit to this, and, and, it, and, it, and it's not first nature to you because your first nature is to trust in yourself and your own abilities versus taking it to God, but you continue, continue, continue. All of a sudden, you look up, and, and you see that, that, that now people are, are being blessed as a result of your commitment to prayer. You see your community is flourishing and thriving because you've been praying for your community to flourish and thrive. You see that your pastor is reinvigorated and he's ready to run the race. And, and, and you believe that that's as a, re, a direct result of your targeted prayers. See, th this applies in so many ways. As a believer, there's a promise. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Because if you do... Then, then there will be a shift in a season. This is God's appointed time where he says, all right, for everything that you've sown, you've sown in tears, you had a time of dormancy, you've had rain, you've had winds, that's going to come to an end. Now prepare for a new season of rejoicing where there was weeping, of being exuberant in your faith, where there was trepidation and fear before, of being a prophetic, prayer-warrioring, crazy Jesus freak when there was timidity before, right? This season, Paul says, is coming. If, if, he says, we do not give up. There, there is a synergy that we have to maintain with the Spirit of God where the Spirit will, will, will constantly uh, reinvigorate us, but the, but the flesh will constantly tug at us and pull us. And the inclination is, I'm out. I'm out. Paul says, if, if you do that, then the season is forfeited. So, okay, that's, that's a beautiful promise. Do season. That's a beautiful promise. God's appointed time. So now, so now, what's the response to the promise? Verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. When harvest comes, your response should be, where can I go that's barren? So that I can take some of my harvest 
to where it's barren. And there's an emphasis that the Apostle Paul places specifically upon the household of faith. How can, how can I take my harvest to better maintain unity within the community that God has me planted within? It's due season. The beautiful news is spring has come. Harvest is upon us. But now, what will we do with the harvest? Because there are still barren, place, barren places in L.A. There are still barren places on this campus. And then, how will we use our harvest for our own household, for our brothers and sisters that we see Sunday after Sunday? How can we share our harvest to ensure that everybody enjoys the season, and not just me. I want to pray. And I want to pray for, for those that, that are weary. For those that, that, that are at the, at the fainting point. Some of you are in here saying, man, I've, 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 Pastor, I've sowed to the Spirit. I've been, I've been walking with the Lord, man. I just, man, I, I, I just feel dry, or I'm seeing dryness. I know that God is there. I know that God is good. But, jeez, fall is it's hard, Pastor. I'm going to pray for you. But then I'm also going to pray for those that, 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 that see harvest. I don't want you to get so enamored with your harvest that you eat, eat all of it and forget to do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. I want you to think about your harvest. I want you to think of how you can target your harvest so that you can spread your harvest to where, to where there is barrenness. And I, want you to, and I want to see you follow God in that way. Let's pray. Oh, God. We thank you for your spirit. He is active. He is here. And we honor the power of your spirit that's in this place right now. We acknowledge the spirit of God. You are the greater power. And every other power has to bow underneath the weight and the power of the Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that even at the mention of your name, every demonic force has to fall under the, under the authority and the power of that mighty and matchless name. Spirit of the living God, we are calling on you. We are imploring you and thanking you for being in our midst right now. Oh God, refresh us. Oh God, revive us. Oh God, take all of those dry, broken fragments. Pour your living water upon them and reconnect them 
Let the dry bones live again. For anybody that is in a, in a season of difficulty, barrenness, God, I pray that you would give them a second win. And let them know, oh God, that they are on the verge of a shift in season. Father, I pray that we who are experiencing a harvest will find where there may be barrenness and we will bless the barren places. I pray that we will use our harvest as well to bless those that are a part of the household of faith. And I pray, Father God, that we continue to sow into the Spirit so that we reap eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.